This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the program. You listen to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm your host, David Clark. Hope you had a good week. Thanks for joining me. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. Or you can follow me at thepeoplesheriff.com. The week that was. Wow. Where are we going to begin? Uh, first of all, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors for defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers for the NBA championship. Uh, I thought it was quite an exciting series uh, for two mid-level cities to be engaged in the finals. Uh, LeBron James darn near willed his team to the championship. He was basically playing one on five. He was getting no help from his teammates, logged a lot of minutes, uh, playing just about every position, triple doubles almost every night. And even playing one on five, uh, he won two games. And uh, what an incredible athlete. Uh, Let's talk about the TSA for a minute here. The uh, Transportation Security Administration is supposed to protect the nation's airports, and recently it was disclosed by CNN that uh, there's been some screening failures, and I mean catastrophic. They flunked 67 out of 70 tests across the nation. So in other words, uh, these um, teams of uh, the undercover teams were able to get banned items through the screening process in 67 out of 70 tests. And the acting head of the Transportation Security Administration, Melvin Carraway, what happened to him? I think he was disciplined or fired. No, he's reassigned, like every other federal bureaucrat that gets into trouble. All that happens is they're reassigned. But what got me about this story is where he was reassigned. Jay Johnson, the Secretary of Homeland Security, lapdog for the uh, Obama White House, Assigned him to the Office of Local Law Enforcement. That's me. Why would I want to have to deal with this incompetent? Basically, Secretary Jay Johnson communicated that this Office of Law Enforcement over here is is a uh, a marginal uh, office. We can bury this guy. We can shove this incompetent over here. That's a slap in the face to law enforcement. I'll keep you advised as to uh, what happens there. I have a lot to say about the TSA and we'll talk about that uh, in future programs. The other thing I want to get to, horrible story out of New Jersey. A uh, young woman who was stabbed to death by an ex-boyfriend in a stalking-type situation had applied for a firearm and uh, got stuck in the bureaucracy. You're going to hear me talk about bureaucracy a lot. I hate it. I want to destroy it any chance I get. I've done that in my own office when I became the sheriff. And I'm still doing it. It's a never-ending job, just cutting through the bureaucracy, eliminating it, destroying it, ending ending it where I can, holding people accountable, uh, demanding that this bureaucracy in Milwaukee County, especially as it relates to public safety, actually work for people and not work for itself. But anyway, getting back to this story in New Jersey, this comes from the uh, NewJersey.com website. Scott Bach the executive director of Sussex County Headquartered Association of New Jersey, New Jersey Rifle and Fire, uh, Rifle and Pistol Club, was complaining about the length of time it takes to get a background check to uh, get your permit to be able to carry a concealed 
weapon in the state of New Jersey. The Berlin Township Police Chief Leonard Check said at his department, it's the latter, and when he's talking about the latter, up to three months when it comes to approving firearms permits and involve multiple organizations coordinating to give the green light. That is nothing more than an attempt to frustrate people's right to keep and bear arms, frustrate their right to the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. That's all this is. You create hurdles. You frustrate people. You make the process so onerous that people either quit during the middle of it or don't even bother with it to begin with. So anyway, as I was saying, uh, Carol Brown was fatally stabbed by an ex-boyfriend late Wednesday night just out of her Berlin home. She'd been waiting since mid-April to get this uh, uh, permit to, because she feared this guy and knew that she needed a means with which to protect herself because she knew uh, that the government wouldn't and she wasn't going to wait around or, or outsource her personal safety uh, to this township. So she's a 39-year-old longtime hairstylist. She filed a restraining order against the suspect, Michael Idle, 45. The man allegedly attacked her shortly after 10 p.m. on uh, Brown's arrival to her Patton Avenue home. According to reports, Brown submitted her application for a gun license on April 21st and went to see where the process stood two days before her death. Reports also indicate that the police department had not yet received the results of her fingerprinting. This is a sin before God. This is what government does. This was avoidable. This is why people don't trust the government and don't outsource their personal safety to the government. What other right do we do this with? Do we make people get a permit and make them go through a background check? Do we do it to exercise your First Amendment rights? Do we do it to exercise your Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable searches and seizures? Do you have to get a permit to stop the government from unlawful searches? Do we do it for the Fifth Amendment, Sixth, the Eighth, cruel and unusual punishment? Do you have to file for a permit to stop the government? from cruel and unusual punishment? No, only with the Second Amendment. This is a nightmare scenario. Fortunately for us in Wisconsin, that hurdle has been knocked down, and uh, we continue to chip away and, and, and make it easier for people to access their rights under the Constitution. As a matter of fact, next week, June 24th, Governor Scott Walker in my office will sign a bill that wipes away the 48-hour waiting period to get a handgun. Wisconsin had a law previously where when you applied to uh, buy a handgun, purchase a handgun, just to, not, not the permit, to purchase a handgun, you had to wait 48 hours. And the reason why that was, they said, well, it took that long to do the background check, the background investigation. But now with technology, these things can be done within hours. And so you don't need a 48-hour waiting period. You can go into your gun store at 10 o'clock in the morning and potentially have your 
firearm at four, five, six o'clock in the afternoon, and, and, and if nothing else, before the store closes. So we're getting rid of that. That was 48 hours in here. This woman was waiting for months for a background check to get her concealed carry permit. Took me four days to get mine. Yeah, I'm a law enforcement officer, but I thought, well, why don't I get one anyway? Because the state of Wisconsin, when the Democrats uh, reclaim control of the uh, uh, both houses of the legislature and the governor's office, are probably going to uh, make it an onerous to get your uh, carry concealed license. So I thought I'd get mine out of the way. And I mailed the uh, check-in. We did the requirements, and four days later, it came in the mail. And even that might be a lot, but months? And then this is what happens. This is a sad story, and I'm going to keep you appraised of this one as well because there's still a lot here uh, that's going on in the state of New Jersey with gun rights. It's a very anti-gun state. And uh, we'll look into this story a little bit more too. Uh, this is This is nuts, but this is the world we live in. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, the Blaze Radio Network. When we come back in the next segment, we're going to talk about HUD, the Housing and Urban Development, and what they're doing to uh, force people to live with uh, people they don't want to live with. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Lindsey Graham was speaking recently. Now, we had actually played a clip from him from, oh gosh, it must have been six months ago when we made the discovery. He made the admission that he's never sent an email before. Do you remember that? I do. I I could not believe that. But the technicality is Grindr is an instant message. It's not an email. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Moving along, you're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff on the Blaze Radio Network. How the Obama administration plans to diversify wealthy neighborhoods. Another exploitation by the Obama administration using using the regulatory agencies, the federal bureaucracy, to control our lives, where we can live, how we can live, who we can live with, how we should vote, what kind of schools we should have, how we should organize ourselves as a community. I want to read this from foxnews.com. Feds accused of pushing utopias in wealthy neighborhoods with diversity regulations. Congressional Republicans are trying to thwart a new federal housing rule they claim would allow Washington to play a heavy-handed role in trying to remake upscale neighborhoods as racially and economically diverse utopias. The forthcoming regulations expected to be formally proposed later this month would leverage grant money to try to bring more affordable options into these neighborhoods. It would require local jurisdictions to report on their progress. They'd risk federal housing money if they don't. But While the Department of Housing and Urban Development program essentially aims for more integration and equality, critics see a meddling federal government. 
the rule tells us how we can live, where we can go to school, how we will vote, what this utopian type of neighborhood should look like, charged Representative Paul Gosar, Republican of Arizona, who sponsored an amendment to the House Housing and Urban Development Spending Bill Wednesday, blocking any future funding for the new rule. The spending bill was passed in the House with the amendment. These rules want to manipulate the way American neighborhoods look like, he told FoxNews.com in an interview. HUD officials and proponents of the new rules say it would do nothing but clarify, even simplify, current obligations under the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Give me a break. First of all, we don't need any further clarification of the Fair Housing Act of 1968. The Fair Housing Act of 1968 was designed to accomplish this. David Clark, black American, wants to buy a home in a particular suburban neighborhood, any neighborhood, even in a city. I have the credit uh, rating to secure a mortgage, or let's say I want to pay cash and I want to buy a parcel of land to build a home on. And within this suburban community, they have unwritten rules that they won't sell to black people. Nothing is, is codified. They know they can't do that. And this kind of stuff was going on. There's no doubt about that. And so they could keep me from buying that parcel of land or that home in that suburban community. That's what the Federal Fair Housing Act of 1968 was designed to eliminate. So now let's fast forward, 2015. People want to leave cities for good reasons. And you know what? The motivation is none of my business. You don't have to have a good reason, but I know what the reasons are, and that's why I say they're good reasons. Here are the reasons why people leave cities. The taxes are too high. Most of these urban centers, these big cities, are dominated by starry-eyed liberal politicians, many with socialist agendas. These cities have high crime. They have failing schools, failing public schools. And on top of that, you have, in many instances, multi housing units that have become nothing more than places for the underclass to grow. This is why people want to leave cities. And to be honest with you, I don't want to leave around that, I live around that stuff either. High crime, high taxes, an urban socialist agenda, poor failing schools, and general disorder. Anybody would want to flee that. Those conditions. So people move to the suburbs. Somewhat more space. It's another reason. They want more space. So they move out, they buy a parcel of land, or they buy an existing home out in the suburbs because it gives them more options, more uh, better schools to send their kids to, less crime, lower taxes because you don't need the social services, and you don't need the public services. You don't need as big a police department. You don't need as big a fire department. You don't need as many schools. And so the taxes tend to be lower, at least the tax rate. The taxes might not be lower because you have higher property value, but the tax rate is lower because you're not paying for some of these uh, amenities that are almost required to live inside a city. So here's what happens. These subdivisions form in these 
suburban communities, and according to the federal government, they become too lily white. So in jumps Uncle Sam. Exploit the legislative process to try to pass some of this these 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 fair housing rules uh, through the Congress, and they utilize the federal bureaucracy to manipulate their way around to create this diverse utopia. Here's what they mean when they say you have to build low-income housing in your suburban community. That's code language for we want to move the underclass out there. You and I have had this discussion about what the underclass is, right? It's a subset of the poor. They live by different rules. They settle disputes with violence. They don't raise their kids properly. Ineffective parenting, high crime and and, and violence, drug and alcohol abuse, failure to stay consistently in the workforce are just a few of the characteristics of the underclass. Who wants to live around that? I know I don't. Some of you might want to soft shoe it and and you're thinking what I'm thinking, but you want to put it in a little more palatable way. Well, I you, you know me. I'm going to give it to you unvarnished. I don't want to live around that mess. I don't care what color they are. I don't want to live around the underclass, plain and simple. So now Fed, the feds, the HUD, takes your federal tax dollars. See, this is the problem with the coercive nature of taxation. They force us to give them our our hard-earned money in terms of federal taxes. We send it out to Washington, and then they send it back, or they're supposed to. And any time they send it back now under this administration, they want to tie things to it. So now HUD is saying, well, if you're going to qualify for this uh, economic development grant, you're going to have to build low-income housing as part of that development. People don't want that. This is their money, first of all. It'd be like you going to a bank and you deposit your money into your bank or the bank. And now you go to make a withdrawal and the bank says, well, you know, we're going to re- put some stipulations on what you can do with this money before we give you your money back. And then the federal government threatens to sue these suburban communities to diversify. And I wish, and it is high time, that these states start to fight back under the Tenth Amendment and start to tell the federal government and remind them, this is not your money. This is our money that we sent out, and you're supposed to send it back, not with any restrictions. Just give us our money back. Let us determine how we're going to live, how we're going to organize ourselves, how we're going to organize our communities and butt out. But instead they fall on the sword and uh, they take their, their, you know, their, their whooping like a man. And, and, you know, we end up with uh, a bigger mess than we started with. When we come back in the next segment, we're going to continue this for a little bit and then uh, move on. Once again, you're listening to David Clark, the people's sheriff on the Blaze Radio Network. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. 
And in this case, we look at what happened in Charleston, and there's just a universal recognition in this country that this is the worst kind, the most heinous kind of evil. It is condemned across the board with no addendum proviso, no yes, but, no, just yes, this sounds like a good case for the death penalty. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. We ended the last segment talking about the Obama administration's attempt to diversify wealthy neighborhoods, which is nothing more than code language for forcing people to live around uh, people in conditions that they don't want to live around. Uh, and like I said, the motivation uh, doesn't bother me. People want better schools for their kids. They'll leave a city. If they want lower crime, they'll leave a city. If they want lower taxes, they will leave a city in an urban area and move out to the suburbs. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I want the same thing. And I was talking about some of the ways that the uh, states have to begin to fight back under the Tenth Amendment, some of the things that they can do, because what we have a tendency to do in these situations, the federal government, the United States Department of Justice, always th- threatens to sue, right, to diversify these neighborhoods. And these areas fall on the sword. They come to some sort of agreement. They'll, they'll allow low-income housing to be built, which would make me really mad if I owned uh, a home there and moved out there for a particular reason to all of a sudden look down the street or across the street and see low-income, multi-unit living facilities sprouting up when I had just moved away from that. But one of the other things I would like to see states do because uh, you know we 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 lament for a while we complain and then we always acquiesce when it comes to the federal government twisting our arms one of the things that states could do to fight back and, and you can't have this you know it could start with one state but it's really hard for a local municipality to do uh, by themselves but to stare down the federal government begin to stare down the overreach of the federal government and say, you know what, we're not going to collect federal taxes through payroll deductions anymore. We're not going to force companies to take out federal taxes and payroll deductions. Uncle Sam, you can collect your own taxes. We're going to take out for state taxes. We're going to require companies to take out for state taxes that can stay here in the state and we'll decide how to divvy these up. You go and collect your own taxes. And have the federal government through the IRS try to send a monthly or yearly bill to every worker in America saying, well, you owe X for federal taxes for a calendar year or to try to do it by month and see what kind of compliance they get. All right, many people would still comply, right? Nothing wrong with that. People pay their bills. But you'd have more and more people who are upset with the overreach of the federal government, upset by some of these policies, would say, the heck with this. We're not paying these taxes. What's the federal government going to do? Put millions of people in prison for not paying federal taxes? That would be staring down the federal government. I don't see that happening 
anytime soon, but there are just certain things that I think states can do to push back against the federal government. Here's another reason why the Obama administration, these liberals, uh, and his social agenda want to diversify these uh, suburban communities. Take a look at the electoral map for the uh, 2012 presidential election. If you look at the United States by red states, blue states, and it's color-coded. Find one of those maps. That's part of your homework assignment for for the week. I do give out homework, but uh, I kind of go easy on you. I know you have enough going on in your lives. But you know what? The visual will be startling. Seven-eighths of the country is red, meaning voted Republican or voted conservative. Only in California and only in certain segments, right, Los Angeles, San Francisco, maybe not so much Northern California, in New York State, and maybe just New York City. And there are a few other areas, uh, Illinois might, you know, Chicago, any place that has a large urban center is blue. Seven-eighths of that map is color-coded red. And the left knows that. And the left knows that if we're going to continue to secure electoral majorities in Congress and in the White House, we're going to have to get our people, blacks, Hispanics, the underclass, the poor, into these suburban communities to participate and disrupt the voting process so that we can get our candidates to run in these suburban communities. We can stack them with our voters and start to change some of these traditional Republican strongholds, a lot of suburban communities, and and flip them blue. That is another one of the objectives of their agenda here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very important to understand when you're dealing with the left, what their true objective is. You have to peel back the layers. Remember, they play chess. They don't play checkers. They're always two or three steps ahead, two or three moves ahead toward their Agenda, But this is why, this is just another one of those examples of why um, the left has to be stopped. And I mean soon, because we are losing this country. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and with the woe is me and paint this bleak picture. My point is, we have to start fighting. Do we have the will? We always talk about what needs to happen. We always talk about, when you listen to talk radio... Save a few. Uh, Rush Limbaugh doesn't do it. Mark Levin doesn't do it. And there are some other ones. They don't just paint this bleak picture. They talk about how we have to start fighting back and, and what we specifically have to do. We have to have the will to fight. We can't just talk about, oh, the, the president with his executive orders and, oh, they're not playing fair and, oh, they're circumventing the Constitution. They know they're doing that. They also know that this Congress, this Republican-controlled Congress isn't going to stop them. John Boehner isn't going to stop them. Mitch McConnell isn't going to stop them. They know many of us sit around waiting for the next election, for something to change. That's not what the Founding Fathers did. They finally had enough. They finally decided, we're going to fight back. We've made our Declaration of Independence. We've outlined what the situation is. That's what we do. We're too much into outlining. We've already outlined the grievances, not only of this White House, not only the Obama administration, 
but also of this whole leftist movement, this whole progressive movement, this whole liberal agenda. And once the founders laid it out, and the crown, Great Britain, basically told them to get lost, they decided, okay, then we have no other choice but to throw off this government. Read the Declaration of Independence. I read it once every year as I do the United States Constitution. Another one of your homework assignments. Yeah, you're getting double homework this time. It doesn't take that long to read both of those documents. If you can't read both of those documents in under a half hour, I'm going to question your reading skills. But it's a reminder of what they were up against. If they saw what was happening today, what they faced back then paled in comparison. Because don't forget the crown was, you know, they had troops here and they had their, their people here, but they were, in the, they were across the ocean. Washington, D.C. Is, is right here in the United States physically. And so they can have more control over us. So at some point, we have to ask ourselves, we have to stop the bitching and start to act. What are we willing to do? I'm throwing that question out there. What are we willing to do? What do we have the will to do? Are we willing to take, not ask for, take this country back? And I hope that the answer is yes. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Jay Severin. Other people don't have a constitution, thus they don't have guns, they don't have a second amendment, therefore they don't recognize their God-given right of self-defense. And see, to Obama, that's the problem. Our constitution is the problem. Well, anyone who knows our constitution knows our problem is Obama. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In this final segment, I want to talk about this attack on the Dallas, Texas Police Department last weekend when a, uh, appears at this point anyway, they're still piecing it together. A lone gunman assaulted the uh, Dallas Police Headquarters uh, armed and in a fortified vehicle, uh, fired numerous shots. And only by the grace of God was a law enforcement officer not injured or killed or some citizen wasn't injured or killed. It was shift change times. He had officers leaving and coming into the building. But this is just another in a series of disturbing trends in this uh, uh, war on police. It's assault on the institution of policing that's been going on ever since the days of the riots of Ferguson, Missouri. We saw it in St. Louis when two of uh, St. Louis's finest were shot while they were uh, uh, patrolling the riots of Ferguson, Missouri. We saw it in Mississippi. Recently, two officers gunned down at their traffic stop. We saw it in Omaha 
Nebraska, the same thing. We saw it in Boston, and most recently in Boston, uh, this this uh, guy in this planned ISIS attack who was looking to behead either a law enforcement officer or uh, uh, Pam Gelhar from Garland, Texas. We saw it in New York. Brian Moore shot and killed in a line of duty officers, Ramos and Lou, same thing there. I just uh, the other day, Montgomery County, Georgia, sheriff's deputy shot and killed, or not shot and killed, but uh, killed in a car crash pursuing an armed holdup man. And the man was taken into custody after exchanging gunfire with uh, pursuing officers. But there's something different going on here over the last, eight, nine months since the days of Ferguson, Missouri. Law enforcement officers are under attack from three sources. And here's where I want to, and, and I need you to connect the dots here because there's more than just what meets the eye. We're under attack from three sources. First of all, it's the cop haters who have killed and attacked officers and anarchists who threaten police like this uh, clown Reverend Wright who... Uh, threatened a terrorist attack here in the United States, but it was not going to be from ISIS, but ISIS in uh, retaliation uh, for some of the uh, police use of force. We're also under attack from criminals who have killed and assaulted officers. And I mentioned some of the cities, just a few. We know that uh, law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty uh, over the last year are up like 90%, extremely disturbing to a 37-year career veteran who so far, and I'm still not out of the woods yet because I still do police work myself, it's in my blood, could happen to me. And we're also under attack from another source, and this one's new, and this one is highly disturbing to me. We're under attack from ISIS, who is encouraging homegrown terrorists to not only attack citizens here in the United States, but to attack military personnel and police officers with orders to behead or shoot or in, in any way, shape, or form, kill a law enforcement officer. That's a game changer to me. I don't really care what the motivation is, whether it be ISIS, whether it be the criminal element, or the cop haters. But here's what else is disturbing to me. The President of the United States has indirectly inspired the cop hating here at home with his anti-cop rhetoric, and this White House seems to have no sense of urgency about ISIS threats against law enforcement and U.S. citizens here on the homeland. Now, like with Al-Qaeda, ISIS will push the envelope to get a reaction from this White House, but they know that President Obama does not seem to have the resolve or the intestinal fortitude to make them pay for threatening U.S. citizens abroad and here at home, we've seen U.S. citizens beheaded, James Foley, Daniel Pearl, and others. And all we get from President Obama is the obligatory take to the microphone and say, we will bring these people to justice. Then he walks away, and that's kind of the end of it. I'm still waiting for those people to be brought to justice. He said the same day following the terrorist attack in Benghazi, where U.S. citizens were attacked and killed. And all we got was, we will bring these individuals to justice. There used to be hell to pay for threatening U.S. citizens. But that hasn't been the case 
under this administration. But let me go back to President Obama and his disdain for the American police officer. And I, and some of that may be at play here in terms of why we got no reaction from the White House in that uh, the killing of that terror suspect in the Boston area who was out to behead either a law enforcement officer or, or some other U.S. citizen. We got nothing from him. On the homeland. I mean, is it, is it me? Am I missing something here? But ever since this president has assumed the White House, it started early in his administration where he said the Cambridge police acted stupidly for making an arrest of a friend of his who would not cooperate with the law, uh, Cambridge police law enforcement officers who were responding to the call of an entry in progress or a burglary in progress. They didn't know who this individual was, Harold Gates. And so they come and they ask a few questions. And they just ask him to identify himself so they knew who they were dealing with before they left the house. That's reasonable. That's what cops are expected to do. And Gates refused. And he was placed under arrest because they didn't know who it was and he was obstructing. And then we look at the nomination of Debo Adegbele to head the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division uh, branch. Adegbele is a known cop hater. Adegbele made a folk hero out of Abu Jamal who killed viciously a Philadelphia police officer back in the 80s. He wasn't defending Adegbele. Adegbele, I'm sorry, he wasn't defending Abu Jamal. Abu Jamal had counsel. Adegbele stuck his nose into that situation. Abu Jamal confessed to the killing. Abu Jamal said he was glad he killed that police officer. Abu Jamal became a folk hero for the MOVE cop-hating anarchist uh, separatist organization in Philadelphia at the time. And Adegbele went on to kind of make a folk hero out of this cop killer. And he nominates, and every law enforcement fraternity in the country pleaded with President Obama, do not nominate that guy, Adegbele, to head the U.S. Civil Rights uh, a branch of the U.S. DOJ. And he did it anyway. He thumbed his nose at law enforcement. He didn't care that we objected to that race baiter to assume that position. And that's a very important position, by the way. Those are the ones that are running around suing law enforcement officers. He didn't care. He did it anyway. So we're going to continue this uh, in, in future segments here, this, this pattern, this very disturbing pattern. Because it's important, and, and there's something else at play here too. These attacks on police are being used by the left to mobilize the base for the 2016 election. Play the race card. Get the black vote stoked up. Keep that in mind too. Remember what I said about the left. Figure out their strategy. That's what all this cop-hating is really about. I want to thank you for joining me this Saturday. I want to encourage you to continue to join me every Saturday on David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Enjoy your week, and God bless. 
You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.